0: Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic Pollster with GBAO.
1: And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican Pollster with Echelon
0: Insights. And each week we bring you The Polls, driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So, Kristen, I think you should start and talk about your APOR experience because I know a lot of our listeners were also at APOR. Yes. Although maybe you should say what APOR is because there will be I will. So, APOR is.
1: APOR is the American Association of Public Opinion Researchers. Yeah. Um. Even though it is American association, I think we're thinking of America as the broader North America. Right. In this context, because the conference was held in Toronto, Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Toronto's great. Was you been lovely. To Toronto before? I'd been to Toronto, but I'd been in December. And so I'd never been. This was Victoria Day weekend, which I guess is the weekend when they're like, summer has begun. And it mm. was like 50 degrees. Summer has begun. <laughs> um right. but it was it was lovely. I was only there for 24 hours. Right. I landed. I went to there were two parties, AP vote cast had a party at the yes, World Emily Swanson Hockey
0: Hall of Fame used to be a poster.com and now she is at AP.
1: Yep. And so they were holding a party to celebrate the success of the AP vote cast. Effort oh, and then good. Survey Monkey had a party at the top of the CN Tower, which is the John Cohen, who jo- our friend of the show, the John Cohen past was there. guest, yes. Mark Blumenthal was there. Uh, Nate Cohn was there. Whoa. It was very. If this is the p- Politico playbook, spotted <laughs> of apor, it was it was quite a scene. Uh, that cool. is where I met uh, your friend Molly and Brody. Oh yes, who came up to me and was like, I don't know if we've ever met. But I love your show. So it was so great to meet her. We've got to have her on. She is such a badass. For sure. Yes. Um, But it was great. To everyone who came up to me and said hello and that you listened to the show, it is so wonderful to always hear that people are actually listening to us, that we are not just speaking into the void. Um, And I love going to APOR because it is the only conference where I willingly go, pay my own way, register, sit, and listen. Like normally I hate conferences and so mm-hmm. the only way to get me there is to like con me into being on a panel right <laughs> <laughs> Kristen, yes, and we'd love for you to speak at a session and like my vanity like is like fine. Yes. Okay, I'll go. Yes. Um, but no, this APOR I have gone the first APOR I ever went to is 2010. Um, it's it is where pollsters from the academic world, the corporate world, the government world, political, media, you name it. Everyone sort of descends and shares best practices and talks about some of the panels are about here's what I learned from my research. Some of the panels are about here's what I've learned about how to do research. Right. It's very cool. Um, Echelon was one of the only Republican firms represented. Yeah, I'm you know, always
0: proud that we go. i are constantly trying to get better. I saw Patrick, your business partner, quoted in Steve Shepard. These are all people who've been on the show, basically. So <laughs> Steve Shepard, Politico, wrote a whole story about APOR, and Patrick was in it. And he said basically that, like... Republicans are not doing as much of this stuff as Democrats. It's like lots of I mean, mm-hmm. we we didn't go. But, you know, lots of my colleagues and friends in the industry went and had experiments and heard back from some of the experiments that folks have done about like, how do you test motivation? Is motivation? Do you say you're excited to vote or enthusiastic about voting, motivated to vote? Does there, is there a difference? Based do you on remember one what the result word? was? Motivation. Not enthusiastic. You're motivated to vote. Okay. Is a better predictor than you're enthusiastic about voting. Because enthusiastic says you're like implies potentially happiness as opposed to like simply I am motivated, which can okay. be – okay. Cheerful or not. News
1: you can use, listeners. Now, yes. if you are a survey methodologist and you could not make it to APOR, now you know, never ask a question about enthusiasm to vote. Ask about motivation to vote. I mean, I
0: don't know if we could extrapolate that we should never ask this based on. Oh, I'm one just test making an irresponsible That, that I'm claim. recalling That's... from an email from a couple days ago. But yes, never do it. <laughs> and, then, and then there was another thing that I saw, because this is clearly how, uh, how I get my news on Twitter, like a normal person. And somebody, <laughs> did they do like a thing where they're like, which. Um, which of these meals do you want? Chicken, 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 or chicken? And like C chicken had like 86% of response. I, I was that like a real? I believe
1: this was the A Twitter feed, like conducting a that show that people's default is C? Experiment? Or did they just
0: make up an ex- make up a result for, for yeah, I guess it I doesn't matter. I shouldn't really put too much brain power. I should use this brain power for whatever it is. I don't know. As but it was, if it
1: was that, like, given. A choice where you don't really care, people choose C out of a (laughs) four-point scale. Like That's a pretty interesting finding. Yeah. I like it. Uh, The other big thing, I spent most of my time in the sessions on studying politics, which is usually not how I spend my APOR. Usually I spend my APORs getting away from the political sessions to learn about other pieces of the industry. But here, time was limited. And as I said last week, I was really geared up for the clash of the exit polls. Mm. So this is the first time in like decades where there has been more than one kind of media exit poll. Um, This was the year where if you were following my Instagram stories over the weekend, I tried no. to explain the story mm. uh, where you had both the AP and Fox News, which were two of the six networks that had been in the NEP national election right. pool exit polls. They were like, thank you, next. Right. And moved on. Yep. And then they worked together on AP VoteCast. Right. So first panel I saw was the four remaining media outlets in the NEP doing a panel. So you had CBS. Uh, ABC, NBC, and CNN. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had like Jenna Jesta mm-hmm. give a talk, Dan Merkel from ABC, who I think is a poor president-elect. He was mm-hmm. there. Okay. Um, and they they basically talked about, look, we get it. The exit polls in 2016 had issues. This year, we really made an effort to make sure we were getting education right. Right. And therefore, this year, our 5 o'clock data was much better. We feel really good about things. They talked about how they're beginning to try to do some experiments with in-person interviewing at early election stations. Right, right. Because right now, I think the method is that the in-person interviews happen on Election Day. They have basically like college kids standing outside polling places trying to intercept every, you know, so many person. Um, And one thing that I think was... In, is a challenge that I think a lot of people don't know about the methodology is they try to write down the gender, race, and age of the people who refuse to take the interviews. So, right. But with the age, you're kind of guessing. I would like yeah, to think that, you're that when gu- I was kind 29 of and with ethnicity, you're kind of guessing yep. Um, so you know there there are just lots of things where they're just making assumptions. Yeah. And look, it's not going to be perfect. It's good that they're collecting data to the extent yes. they can on non-response. It is better than
0: you can sometimes. You, if you're calling RDD, you're not going to be able to get that non-response data on a person at all. Anyway. Yes.
1: So you know they were very sort of proud of their results. Said, look, it's been better than before. Um, and then later on in the afternoon, AP VoteCast went up and made their case. AP VoteCast does not include. The in-person interviews. So the the traditional exit polls, their case is, look, we are grounded in ground truth. We are talking to people. We know our voters. These are not people who say, I think I'm going to vote. These are not people who on the phone are claiming that they voted. These are people who we know either because the voter file says they voted or because we met them at a polling place. We know they voted and we know how the precinct where they voted behaved. So we can match all this stuff back very precisely. Right. Because we have ground truth that we work in. That's their like advantage. Right. AP Vocast, they say our advantage is that we did a survey of, and let's see, I wrote this down, 139,000 interviews. They do 40,000 interviews across 25 sort of target wow. states. They're calling from the voter file. Mm-hmm. And the way they do it is they also, they mail postcards to people. Right. And they say, you can either call this inbound 1-800 number and take the poll, or you can go to the web. So they are they know non-response kind mm-hmm. of, they're calling off, they're not calling off the file, but they're mailing people. Right. Interestingly, I think they found that young people responded better to mail to web huh. than they did anything phone. right. Young people got bills, too. Right, 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 right. Um, we got to check our mail. Yep. They then had 94,000 people from opt-in online panels. Really? Do interviews. Really? And then they had 5,000 people from NORC's AmeriSpeak panel. Um, so they were collecting a lot of data from a lot of different Lots of different, of different places. Um, from October 29th through November 6th. Um, not all of those people are voters. Right. 22,000 of them were non-voters and they could therefore derive interesting insights. Mm. But what's cool about having that scale is like the exit polls, the traditional exit polls cannot actually tell you like what did Muslim voters think. Right. They don't have right. enough sample to yes. really tell you what do Latino Republicans think. Right. right. Like even with the scale they have, it's still not enough to get at some of these small groups. Yes. With that kind of an end size, they had interesting data and slides that Emily Swanson was presenting about some of these smaller subgroups. Now, were, could
0: they go to every state and lots of congressional distr- districts? Because sometimes the limitation of the exit polls, uh, you know, if they haven't invested in a state and that state like blew up at the end or it became close yeah. or you just want to know for whatever reason. So you know, this is one of the things of the that, that they say it, is maybe, a big I, advantage of mm-hmm. theirs
1: as well is that they have mm-hmm. – they have data from everywhere. Um, And so they had 25 high-priority states, 25 non-priority states. The non-priority states is where they leaned heavier on the non-probability opt-in panel data. Um, They also, I think the big difference is that the Nep exit poll, and I don't want to say the waiting is simple that anyone does. Like these is all extremely complicated. <laughs> it's
0: easy, just you know, crunch the numbers. But the and but it the itself. nep
1: yeah. <laughs> was like, look, we wait on age, yeah. race, gender, uh-huh. education, age by education, race by educate. Like it was like here's the variables we and then as returns come in, then right. we wait back to real results, right. Then the AP VoteCast people get up and they're like, it's a four-step waiting process. Here are all the variables we wait to the first time. Then we look at partisanship. Uh, Then we do an MRP model. of uh, Mr. Mr. P. P, We do some some Mr. P. Then we wait back to, I mean, and it was like, unbelievably, they just math all over the (laughs) stuff. that's the scientific term um it's just math yes. everywhere wow. and so they were very proud because they said at 5 p.m um their data knew we're gonna the Dems are gonna win the house by nine points uh, and I think in the real result it was like 8.6 mm-hmm. um that they had called 92 percent of senate races both the NEP and AP screwed up in Indiana I don't want to say screwed up that sounds like I'm but their data showed uh that Democrats were going to keep Indiana and like outside the margin. And it was that's obviously not what happened. So Indiana was the one that like both exit polls seem
0: to have not quite gotten. Did they mention anything about Latinos in 16 and correcting for that? Because in 16, there was an issue about, you know, did the exits get Latinos correctly? Did anybody talk about that?
1: Uh, So there were some discussions about the extent to which the exit polls do and don't ultimately line up with high quality the like voter supplemental for the uh is it CPS or ACS it's one of the big right, census right. surveys my my brain is fritzing mm-hmm. out now but um that they sort of acknowledged, that, and this was, like, crushing my, like, oh, wow, this is just, you're sticking a knife through the heart of the selfie vote. It was like, yeah, exit polls tend to show young voters are, like, 18, 19 percent of the electorate, but we know from, like, the higher quality surveys that happen later and Analyze the voter file that it's actually, like, 12 percent. I'm like, <gasps> Patrick's been saying this to me for years, and I've known it's true. Quit reminding me. No, <laughs> no, this is killing me. Um Anyhow, all I will say is it, to wrap up our apor yeah, discussion. It's just lots of
0: people looking very young because I don't I don't know out. how
1: many of our listeners are like deep in the weeds on apor stuff. But it was
0: yeah, the ratings are going through the ra- roof. right Yeah, now. and we've lost <laughs> half this is our ratings listeners. Gold. Um
1: The I mean the real th- summary here is that like probability based polling. I think essentially doesn't exist anymore, and this the conference is now sort of devoted to figuring out like there is no such thing as a gold standard poll, right? That was another so, thing I saw. Like, and, and, what are we gonna do?
0: I mean, we've moved away from like saying well, phones are still the gold. St-. We don't say that, you know, because so many. I mean, lots of people really do online, and lots of outlets. And we've talked about this a lot. Lots of outlets now cover online polls that yeah. before they would say, "Why are you giving me this online poll?" I refuse to even acknowledge your email. And Now they. You they often cover, and not all of them consistently, but lots of them do.
1: Yeah. Um, And I think last but not least, there were some interesting studies about, um, instead of random digit dial, it's called like random device engagement. This was a David Mm. Rothschild uh, piece where it was like, basically now instead of a phone number, like the cookies that follow you around your different devices is like your new phone number. And so can you be like presented with a survey repeatedly on your laptop or on your phone or on your iPad. And that's how they find you not from a cell phone, but it's like, Mm -hmm. um, and this was the one I tweeted this out where it was, they were checking for social desirability bias and they asked people, did you go to church? And then, like, because this was on people's mobile devices, they could like follow them around and know that they had not actually gone to church. It was like, this is so
0: creepy. I saw the responses, though. People were like, "Hey, what about you? Know, I I go to the church at YouTube, Kristen. Don't you know? Like, you can you know can be at church on anywhere you like. I'm not
1: going to weigh in on how people live their faith. I'm just saying (laughs) I was creeped out by the idea that they were like fact checking people's responses with location data. Turn that stuff off on your phone. Guys, protect yourself. Funny. Uh, okay, so anyhow, uh, last but not least, I love Apoor because it is kind of my like Real Housewives. Like, <laughs> the, I wanted to see, I wanted to see some drama. Yeah, and, and there, and it was all very
0: cordial. But
1: it was nobody
0: like, like flipped the table or like you know shouted at their. Like you go to competitor. the AP vote
1: cast party, yeah. and there will be people there from the traditional exit pull outlets, sure. and they're like, yeah, well, it's good for them that they've you know tried this new thing. It's too bad they're not actually like. Talking to real voters, but you know, I mean, it's fine. It's good for them. You know, and then you talk to the AP vocast people and they're like, well, you know, it's too bad. You know, we just were excited to be like really innovative and like, you know, nobody's like saying anything bad about mm. each other's methodology, but it's just like, I'm, I'm such a drama queen. I'm like looking for drama where none probably exists.
0: But this is like i like I live for this. That sounds this is pretty. That sounds some pretty low key drama methodology <laughs> drama.
1: Well, before I landed, Patrick was in some other session that had nothing to do with the exit polls, and I guess like a researcher from a university that will not be named was like throwing shade at a panel provider that we at Echelon like a lot, and Patrick was like, drama, drama going down on the panel. There's That's like funny. there's shade being thrown at at panel name redacted. <laughs> And I was like, this is this is my this is this is my Real Housewives. This that's is good. my this
0: is my Vanderpump Rules. No, that's good. Okay,
1: so now that we've talked about Apor for way too long, what
0: are the top lines? Top lines for all the <laughs> two people oh, who are Lord, still listening. There was, okay,
1: uh, Trump's child <laughs> approval. Sorry,
0: Richard. We'll have those advertisers back next week.
1: <laughs> uh, Quinnipiac. Finds Trump's job approval a heck of a lot lower than everyone else. It yanks his job approval way down in the averages. We will discuss. We'll talk a lot about 2020 matchups, some data on which Democratic voters love Joe Biden, and how does reading about, quote, identity politics, end quote, uh, affect Democratic voters' views. Then we'll talk a little bit about polling around Alabama's new abortion law, as well as some polling on views on the economy and socialism. Australia had some elections that went down over the weekend while APOR was happening, and there was a something of a polling miss? We will discuss just a little bit. And last but not least, I need to do a victory lap about all of my correct Game of Thrones predictions, because I'm feeling super good about it. So... Uh, preemptive spoiler alert if you do not want to hear me talk about Game of Thrones. That'll come at the end of the show. I won't spoil anything before then. We I mean, throw up another spoiler I, alert.
0: Oh, I'm just of the opinion that if you've made it to this part of the week and you have not watched the Game of Thrones finale or spoiled yourself somehow, then I think you don't care. Fair. Then you don't I really care. Fair. But, you know, sure. You can't, like, just demand that the whole world stop for you for, like, three weeks. Can, can I later.
1: offer some breaking news real quick? Yes. Your boy Avenatti.
0: He's not okay. Okay, he's not that your boy is, anymore. Okay, I, fine. but when he when he, like, it was been he a very long indicted. time, it's been a very long time since I had thoughts about him. Okay, <laughs> okay, that were only that were not negative because obviously he jumped the shark a very long time ago. Okay, okay which is a shame.
1: i got to make sure that SDNY did not accidentally arrest Patrick Ruffini. <laughs> I love that it's like identity theft is what Michael Avenatti's being indicted for.
0: Like, did you steal Patrick Ruffini's identity? Yeah. Cut to Michael Avenatti like getting into some like methodological fight at A4. <laughs> I know that that panel they say they're not, you know, they're probability based but they're not.
1: <laughs> oh God. Anyway. We're, we are 25 minutes To the show, and we've provided (sighs) nothing of value to our (laughs) listeners.
0: Yes, that's all going to change right now. Okay,
1: guys, so Trump's job approval. On average, currently at 42.7 percent, this is a not insignificant decline from when it had been up around 45 percent just a week ago. You've had a couple polls come out, whether it was Reuters Ipsos with him only at 40, Political Morning Consult had him at only 41, Gallup had him at 42, uh, but really the big one is Quinnipiac, which just came out, I think it was today, maybe yesterday, that has him all the way down at 38 Um, The field dates on this one, May 16th through May 20th. So we don't know specifically what caused it, right? I suspect, based on some of the things that we learned about at APOR or that have been learned about from other polling things, is that people who feel extra energized or angry or something about an issue are more likely to Oh, like Michael Methal's
0: Kavanaugh thing that I saw tweeted out that, like— Republican response rate improved during the Kavanaugh hearings, giving a kind of false sense of a bump, if I understood the tweets correctly. Yes,
1: so the idea is that when a news story is like really firing a side up, that they might weigh in more. Mm -hmm. And it is not impossible to imagine a world where the Alabama law and everything that went down about that over the weekend on the heels of Georgia, that you have sort of more progressive respondents who are like, yeah, I'm here to tell you how I feel about things. And so, you know, to the extent that that is or is not related to Trump, that would certainly lead. I mean, or it could just be the people have decided they don't like Trump this week.
0: Or it could just be Noice. fluctuation. Yes, um, because the previous poll right before Quinnipiac, which is Rasmussen, which normally is very favorable toward the president. It actually was not that different from the two polls right before it, even though still the Rasmussen poll had higher approval rating than any anything that's sort of on the recent poll list. Mm-hmm. But still wasn't really that different from the ones before. So the Quinnipiac is a bit of a departure from the, la- you know, the previous. Yeah. So it could just
1: be that Quinnipiac is temporarily yanking the average down and it is an outlier, but it could also, you know, just we report. Yeah. It's still in the same.
0: What? No. (laughs) It's still in the same. (laughs) It's still in the same general band, band of bad for him. Yes.
1: Uh, So let's take a look real quickly at some 2020 matchups. Yeah. Um, We have some fresh Trump versus insert Democrat X here, polls um, from Fox News nationally, and then Quinnipiac has them in Pennsylvania. So nationally. uh, And what's interesting is that they actually are extremely aligned. Um, They are very close, close together to the point of being like freakishly identical. So Trump versus Biden in Pennsylvania. Quinnipiac has Biden plus 11. Yeah. Nationally, Fox News has Biden plus 11. Trump versus Sanders. Fox has Sanders plus five in Pennsylvania. Quinnipiac has Sanders plus seven. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is plus two nationally in Fox, plus three in Pennsylvania from Quinnipiac. Kamala Harris tied both nationally in Fox and in Pennsylvania. Quinnipiac. So it was it like it really the electability argument Biden could be making. And again, it's still early. Name ID still matters. Caveats all included. Yep. Um. It's good news. If you're Joe Biden,
0: it's good news. If you're Joe Biden, it's good news. Honestly, if you're anybody in the Democratic, anybody in the Democratic field, to be honest, Um, I mean, these are I mean, the approval rating, we've been living with this approval rating for a while. And then you have, you know, so and that's national. And then you look at the national poll numbers and people say, well, that's, you know, the electoral I mean, the popular vote obviously is not how we pick things. Surprise. Um, but is the fact that these numbers in Pennsylvania, which went to Trump, show him vulnerable and you put all that together, it continues to show, you know, vulnerabilities. And these,
1: and when you take a look at the Fox matchups nationwide, most of these have not changed a great deal since March when they last asked them. Right. Um, so there hasn't been a ton of movement in the race, but there also hasn't been a ton of movement in President Trump's job approval since March, with the exception of this last kind of weird, like,
0: blippy week. Right. So... You know it it is so you mean people aren't following every twist and turn of Democratic primary news mm. I know surprise gasp <laughs> um, so anyhow let's, yes, let's that's have exactly a little what, bit ex, extreme the daily voice yes that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying
1: but there is it is still very much so the case that Joe Biden is in sort of the front-runner-ish position. Um, this Quinnipiac poll, and I believe this is a, this is Quinnipiac's national poll, yes. has Biden at 35% among Democrats and Democrat leaners. Uh, Sanders at 16%. This has been, my perception has been this has been a good week for Elizabeth Warren in the polls, mm-hmm. that she has sort of really solidified herself as kind of top of that second tier. Um, with Kamala Harris coming in at 8%, Pete Buttigieg still um, hanging out in that second tier at, at 5%, um, and then you know,
0: the rest of the field. And that is a qualifying poll for the debate. So, the, some polls mm-hmm. are qualifying. That's one of them. Um, although, I don't think it changes the calculation given, given that most folks are clustered, you know, a couple different candidates. They also released in their national general election numbers favorability for all of the Democratic candidates, too. And, you know, you, you can see the hard ID issue there and they don't break these out by party they probably release it in the tabs where some of these folks on the democratic side are unfavorable nationally they're likely better they're likely you know well because this one got they're this, gonna have this poll made waves because are. it
1: showed that only eight percent of people think build up like have a favorable view of bill de blasio while 45 percent have a negative view which is like Ouch. Ouch. See, I'm allowed to do this because I'm not working for any of the Democrats in 2020. So I can just I can get wild in this segment. Um, the, the the last thing that I would point out is well, So, uh, so oh, let me just ahead. give
0: an example of just hard ID for some of these. And again, so if you look at some of these numbers and of the, uh, f- the favorability of the Democratic candidates, you say, well, these don't look good because they're not unfavorable and, you know, start to have some kind of, you know, start to worry. But if you're looking at example, O'Rourke, his you know, he has a higher haven't heard enough among Democrats than he does among Republicans. And so that's why that's part of the reason that those numbers look. It's probably true for all these others, too. Um, Um, Yeah, it's not as true for Harris. She's similarly known. But for some of these folks, they are less. So among Cory Booker, he's less known among Democrats than he is among Republicans. So that's part of what's happening here.
1: Well, one way to get known among Republicans is potentially to do a Fox News town hall. And there's some new data from Morning Consult about whether voters believe it is appropriate or inappropriate for Democratic presidential candidates to appear on Fox News Channel. Fascinatingly. It is Democrats who are the most likely to say that they think it is appropriate for Democrats to appear on Fox News. It is—I
0: am—that's that's like guess, a fascinating finding to me. But there's not that, even that much of a difference by no. a party. This is like the most bipartisan thing we probably have in this whole script. I know. It is, <laughs> which
1: is so fascinating.
0: I, I, I actually think it's to amusing
1: it. to me that 18 percent of Republicans think it's inappropriate. And I wonder if that is the sort of President Trump like— why do you guys keep putting these Democrats on my favorite network? Like tweets that he keeps doing, like Uh, to what extent is this people who are like, why do I have to keep watching Amy Klobuchar? Like, why do I have to watch these Democrats? I mean, I don't know that that's it, but like, I'm just fascinated that a full 18% of Republicans think it's inappropriate for Democrats to be going on Fox news. Like what's what is that all about? Okay. But it's, look. this is just further proof. Like I don't, I mean, maybe it's the case that there will be some Democratic voters who are like, gosh, I was going to vote for Pete Buttigieg, but he sat down with Chris Wallace. Boo. But I don't think that's largely the case. And this poll sort of suggests that.
0: Well, so I mean, the so I agree. This doesn't show that there's, a, you know, it doesn't appear that there's mileage for a Democrat to say I'm not going on Fox News. That's not what this certainly is not telling that story. But, it, you know, it, it doesn't quite ask it that way, though. It's still like, is it appropriate? And so it appropriate is a little bit different, like. How would this affect your vote? Which I'm assuming for most of these people would be not that much, but like you know, or how would Republicans feel if they saw a Democratic candidate come on Fox News? Would they feel like appreciated that some you know, appreciative that somebody you know came to a conservative leading network to talk to them? Um. So I, so I, I don't, it doesn't quite go deeper, but it's still fascinating how yeah. similar these numbers are across party. I mean, they're basically identical.
1: The last 2020 thing I think we should hit real quick is race and gender breakdowns within the democratic electorate. Yeah. So there's a a tweet in here which I am realizing is has definitely been added to our script by Echelon new intern Jan because he is French and I just realized that. Like, <laughs> it's all in French. I'm like that doesn't say follow. What is Oh, that's the French word for follow. Got it. On this uh, translate this tweet. I don't right, right. you speak
0: you speak French kind of, right? Uh, you do. Yes, but I I think that just says translate this. Yes, tweet, it does say is, translate. But it says that t- traduire le tweet? I think. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> anyway, sounds uh, good.
1: But it's it's a oh side note. Have you read this insane Keith Olbermann story no. about how he's all like Steve Kornacki isn't like doesn't <laughs> respect me enough. I gave him a start, and he never talks about me anymore. It is unhinged. Really? Team Steve Kornacki all the way. I love Steve Kornacki. I like
0: Steve Kornacki too. It is
1: crazy. Keith Olbermann basically talks about he thinks that Kornacki and Rachel Maddow are ungrateful to him.
0: Is it? it is it like a tweet storm or an article
1: or a media? It's, an, it's post an interview. Or? It was. It's an interview he did because now I guess he's going back to ESPN or something. He's like doing stuff in the sports world again. Is going to sit out. I don't know. I just. Whatever. In Steve Kornacki News, he's awesome. Keith Olbermann. Am I going to enjoy it as much as away. I enjoy the
0: Chris Kobach story in
1: the <laughs> New York Times? I don't that's know. a really high bar. As, I don't think it's as dishy. <laughs> I don't think it's as dishy. Um, but then here, this is, a, is this a Vox or it's from, oh, it's uh, the Black Pack yes. poll um, of what are the most important issues to black voters? Um, racism and discrimination, far and away number one uh, with health care as like 1B. Um, followed by economy, police accountability,
0: education, environment and climate in kind of a second tier. Well, we should clarify that it asks what are the most important issues for you as opposed to saying what are the most important issues for black voters? Because I've seen polling sometimes where they ask people what are the most important issues to women or to and ask you I, to extrapolate to everybody. That's, and I don't love that. Right. You should ask this is how what's important to you. And from there we can draw a conclusion as opposed to asking you to imagine what's the most important issue to some other group. Anyway, this question specifies what's the most important issue to you and you can pick up to 3
1: and then there's another study here or do you want to talk a little bit about the fave and faves across candidates or do no, you want to talk about I the mean, identity politics no
0: thing? we can we i mean look the fave and faves are are what you'd expect which there are differences by party ID and cl- how closely you're following the news. And- it,
1: it just it reaffirms I mean, I, again, I don't know to what extent this is a name ID function but it really emphasizes the strength that Joe Biden has among black voters. The Steve Kornacki tweet, which did we actually explain what this was about or did we just talk about Steve Kornacki and then move on? Yeah, Richard's nodding at us. We we, we botched that one. Okay, uh, the Steve Kornacki tweet is about the crosstabs on race and gender from the New Morning Consult poll showing that Joe Biden is the strongest among black women at 49% um, and his weakest group is he's still in the first place, but 36 percent among white men. So Joe Biden, very strong with black voters, especially black women, according to that morning consult poll. And that seems to be sort of reaffirmed here by the black pack poll where his he is his favorables are, I think, 50 percent strongly favorable, 59 percent strongly favorable among those who are following things closely. Those are pretty good. That's a pretty good place to be. Pretty good place to be.
0: OK, so this just came out today. The next thing we're going to talk about identity. Poli- so the phrase identity politics is. I don't know if it's like tied as most annoying to me, like relative to um, compared to like politically correct and identity politics and like and gun control like those are the three things if you want me to just you know go nuts <laughs> if you want to just like walk up to me and make me angry for some reason those would be the three things you you'd should not say. give our <laughs> listeners that power <laughs> like oh
2: that, this is only going to end badly that, that,
0: that, that's exactly those this are the ways that we get mad anyway badly. so five some folks at 538 well it's they wrote up something at 538 i don't think it's the 538's reporters but maybe i should Double check that. But um, they did a study with white Democrats um, where they showed uh, half of the respondents a fictitious newspaper clipping that said Democrats lost this 2016 election and failed to take the Senate in 18 because the party was too focused on identity politics and didn't address the economy. And the other half was shown a clipping that did not mention Identity politics, but still talked about Democratic disappointments in 16 and 18, and then had a follow up that asked, Why do you think Democrats lost in 16? And then had them do a conjoint. We talked about conjoint last week about the different kinds of traits that you would want in a hypothetical 2020 candidate. So, so a similar exercise to the one we, the CBSU Gov one we talked about last week. Um, and so a couple of things that were interesting here. One, which is That men were just as likely to say Hillary Clinton lost because of identity politics before reading, whether if they didn't read the story or if they did read the identity politics story. made no difference. But for women, there was a sizable difference. Women were were much less likely to think that that was the cause of Clinton's defeat if they didn't read the fake story. Um, But if they did, they were almost as likely as men.
1: Did, Did you see the survey dates on this? By the way, survey dates November eighth through twelfth, twenty eighteen. This was fresh, fresh. Yeah. So th- I feel like that's very interesting. Like that they went in right after the election when emotions were high and people yes. were like, and we're like, let's let's experiment on yes. people. Yeah.
0: But not after sixteen, but after eighteen. But still, but still, but, part, but still, like yes, after part, yeah, the yeah, like yeah. people were thinking
1: yeah. about elections, like right. People are really,
0: like, focused and like, okay, Right. And these were Democrats. So they were folks who, you know, have a partisan preference and, you know, might have heard something about what was happening. Um, So that's pretty sizable. And then in the conjoint, there were a lot of differences among women. This is now just looking at women where they if they did not read the identity politics fake story, they were more likely to. Prefer a women candidate. They are more likely to than a male candidate. Um, They are more likely to prefer a candidate who is focused on workplace discrimination than, as opposed to economic focus than those who did not see the identity politics story. Um, Same thing with leniency for nonviolent offenders. Same thing for fair sentencing for like criminal justice reform uh, components. So policies. So. I, you know, what do we learn from this? Do people feel like vulnerable about electoral prospects if they worry about this identity politics piece? That's one potential conclusion to draw. Another is, are women more like open to being persuaded by a news story or messaging in general or just on this topic, right? Because there's some evidence that they, are, you know, might be more open to messaging in general. If they were doing this test on something else, would we have seen the same gender effect? Or is the gender effect something specific to this topic? That's, I th- don't think is what, I don't think this answers that. But I think that's worth considering as an explanation. So regardless, I think it's pretty interesting. What did you think?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it to me, I uh, it's... Uh, The uh, I want to learn more about it, like what news source was it framing this as from? Because, I mean, on the one hand, you can look at this and be like, we fed people fake news and it made them, you know, less sympathetic to certain causes or whatever. But on the other hand, I mean, if it's I I, it's I do not think that it would be crazy for a Democratic voter to like encounter this fake story and like have it affect their views, even though it is fake, because frankly, there were lots of people making claims out there about why Hillary Clinton lost that are like not rigorously verifiable at all. So, you know, to me, that was sort of just something that I was I was thinking about. Was like, hmm, I I wonder, like, I mean, there's lots of punditry and speculation out there about stuff. Um, How I wonder I would just love to know how they like framed this fake story.
0: Right. Yeah. No, it's it's super interesting. I mean, are, are you I mean, this notion that by worrying or hypothesizing out loud this notion of identity politics and maybe is, and what's the role of the phrase identity politics? That's another question I don't I don't know the answer to from this. Like, is there something about that phrase? I mean. You know, not everyone probably has the same visceral reaction to the phrase that I do. Um, but, you know, be, but is there something about the phrase that's specific or is it something more broad than that? You know, we don't know the answer to that. But are we creating a situation where people are, are changing their views about what they want and the kinds of political change they want as a result of the kinds of news? Or are we creating something? Are we, you know, that we fear, basically? OK, now we're going to take a quick break and then come back with a couple more issues Put your skills to work. Go to growgoogle slash certificates. So we're back. Some other things in the news.
1: Uh, yeah. So the one of the big stories from the last week is Alabama passed a law that would prohibit abortion um, at any I believe it's is it at any stage of pregnancy for any reason? Essentially, I mean, effectively, that's what it is. There were attempts in the legislature to add amendments that would make exceptions for things like rape and incest. And those amendments were rejected. Rape and incest, no. The bill was signed into law by Governor Kay Ivey and is going to be challenged in court. The expectation is this will make its way through the court system, potentially up to the Supreme Court, that it's being set up as a way to sort of legally challenge Roe v.ersus Wade um, those sort of supporting the strategy believe a more conservative court. This is the time to strike uh, for many others. Uh, they view this as uh, – there. there's sort of division within the pro-life movement, which, which we can talk about, about whether that is a wise right. strategy. Is there
0: incrementalism or just push? And right. are you now like further enraging – a massive movement of women that already determined and already, you know, flipped right. the House to Democrats? Do you, you know, are you just trying to keep that going or, or what? So
1: there's a very important Twitter thread that I just I just added and I'll, we, sh- we will yep. link to it in show notes from Ariel Edwards-Levy who really dug into this. And she finds a pretty interesting thing, which is that overall there is not very, and, and you've seen Pew has data on this, Gallup has like Every source finds that on the overall question of when abortion should be legal or what have you, there's very little gender divide. On the question of how much would it make you angry if Roe v. Wade was overturned, mm. how important mm-hmm. is this to your vote? Then there is suddenly a gender divide. Right. So there are two ways of looking at it. On the one hand, overall views about do you consider yourself pro-life or pro-choice? There is there is much less. There's very little gender gap at all on that kind of a question, but on How angry would you be – this is a question that they literally asked, I believe, in the CBS News poll. Mm -hmm. How angry would you be if Roe v. Wade was overturned? For men, it's only 24%. For women, it is – 38% said yeah. they would feel angry if over if Roe v. Wade was overturned. And the CBS news poll shows that seventy or sixty-seven percent believe that the Supreme Court should keep Roe v. Wade as it is. Only twenty-eight percent say overturn it. Um which is not to say that only twenty-eight percent of America would like to see abortion reduced or curbed or consider themselves pro-life.
0: Um Gallup has been asking. Or the chipping away at Roe v. Wade to like gut it you know, yeah. To essentially, like overturn gut it, which is you know, is, but the incrementalist yeah, Sort of pro-life. So folks,
1: there is, you know, Gallup has been asking a sort of three part. So Gallup asks it as a three part question. Pew has asked it as a four part question. Right. Pew asks, do you think it should be legal under any, most um, or illegal under any or most circumstances? Right. So that's the four
0: point. And other people have different versions of the four point. But that's the basic four point, like two on one side, two on the other. Yeah.
1: And typically there's a there's a significant majority that says legal in all or most. I think for all it's like 25 percent. Um, And then illegal in all or most, the illegal in all is only like 15 percent. Gallup asks it in a three way, illegal under any, legal under only certain circumstances or illegal in all circumstances. So they kind of try to merge those middle two together. Um, They find a fairly similar result. Fifty percent say legal under certain circumstances That's very, there's a very broad range of what that can mean, right? right? Um, 29% say legal under any circumstances and 18% say illegal in all circumstances. A lot of the commentary I have seen in like pro-life Twitter sphere, there is a piece written by Jonathan V. Last, who is, quite pro life writes for the bulwark and basically says that he thinks this is a really big strategic misstep. You may recall a couple months ago New York and Virginia had passed laws sort of expanding um expanding abortion access and sort of changing restrictions around what doctors did or didn't need to have access to like for ho- I think it was mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. New York or something like hospital admitting mm-hmm. privileges something like that. Um There was a Marist poll that came out in the wake of that that suggested, and again, it was just one data point, but sort of said, hey, look, there's been a public backlash that that New York and Virginia took these actions. And now suddenly there's been an uptick in Americans saying they're pro-life. Right. And so will this now cause the opposite, right? right? right, right. But now that you have Virginia, or pardon me, Georgia, Alabama. Louisiana has something
0: that's going to be on the ballot in October.
1: that, That If you have a lot of these states sort of going the other direction, advocating for things that are outside of this sort of not all or nothing, centrist-y, you know, legal-ish mainstream? If you're going way out to the extreme, do you push people away? And have you chosen effectively a position that divides the pro-life movement against itself? Right.
0: Because so I think that's it's clear that no debate. matter how you ask it, not having a rape or incest exception—that's that's just not a majority opinion. I mean, there's no, no. I mean, it's no, between fifteen and eighteen. There's no, usually. there's, you know, there's no, and it depends on how it's asked. If it's like illegal and you know, I- illegal in most or all. I think, you know, we should take a look, has slightly different responses on like, should it be legal or illegal in cases of rape and incest? And as a standalone question, then you might get a different response altogether. And then there's other kinds of three points, too. I mean, the, the po- despite this being an issue for a long time that people have, you know – you. It, seemingly have formed a lot of opinions on it is at the same time subject to a lot of question wording differences and so there's also like a a different kind of three-point that some folks use where on the one side i personally support a woman's right to an abortion i believe it should be legal and available the other side is i personally believe having an abortion is wrong and it should be illegal And then the middle of this three point is I'm personally against abortion, but I do not believe government should prevent a woman from making that decision for herself. So that's a different kind of three point. And there do you look at – as with any of these three points, are you looking at the three categories separately or are you combining – yeah. Too. So in that way, it is, say, it is
1: intentionally a double-barreled question, right? right? But and it's so, giving
0: people the 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 two options as a, you mm-hmm. know. You're cl- it's clear what you're you know what you're responding to. Anyway, so there are a variety of different ways to look at it. The you know it, it's clear to me. And also something else that Ariel Edwards Levy posted was about the Alabama law specifically, where it had a very very high strong disapprove. I mean, there, there's there's nothing that suggests. However, it's asked that w- bans like the one in Alabama, again, it's far from the only one. There are lots of states like laying the groundwork to in case Roe v. Wade is overturned or gutted in some way they already have trigger laws or have something in place. It, that's in addition to all the trap laws that make it, you know, in effect, much harder to get an abortion in a variety of states. Um it it's the bands like the one in Alabama are not they're not a consensus position so i you know the question is like does that legislative or legal goal hurt politically you know, given that it is you know very far to the right of where most women are. Most and if are. if
1: you believe that legally it is unlikely that the Supreme Court upholds this law, will the end result have merely been that it helped raise a lot of money for pro-choice groups? Like that's I think that's sort of the pro-life like this was not a smart move right. tactically. Right argument that I, that I'm hearing a lot of. So we'll we'll see. I mean, it will be interesting if a couple months from now you have Pew or Gallup come out and update these very long trend lines about do you consider yourself pro-life, pro-choice, etc. If any of these numbers have moved or if they remain the same. Um, but we will, as ever, keep you posted here on the pollsters.
0: Yep. Okay. The economy. Something less Hot off the presses. I guess yeah, that's something well, kind of in the news. And not so kind of right
1: now way. they've got um, some interest. Gallup has put out some data about Americans' perceptions of the job market. And things are actually really good. Right now, 71% of Americans say that it is a good time to find a quality job. This is the highest it's been since, well, this trend line starts in January 2018. I imagine it's higher than it has been for a decade because the economy is is doing pretty well and was improving o- over the course of the entire last decade Um, You also have perceptions of the U.S.'s direction of economy. You have 54 percent who think the economy is getting better. Um, Oh, now, actually, I see the trend line going back all the way to 20 to 20. Yeah, this is a high and not just a high over the last 10 years. This is a dramatic high going all the way back to 2001, Um, you know, right before the financial crisis. When things were feeling the be- the best they had been in the post-9-11 era, it was only at 46% of people saying it was a good time to find a quality job. So a really significant spike in this number over the last two years, which frankly is part of why – I mean, so the president tweeted something over the last day or so where he was like, if it weren't for the 12 angry Democrats, my job approval would be at 65%, <sighs> which – I feel like I've actually have said that half jokingly, like, with friends. Like, I wonder what his job approval would be. But it wasn't about if the Mueller report hadn't happened. It was like, I wonder if he just stopped tweeting. Like, I wonder what his job approval would be if he just never tweeted again. Could it get to 65%? Because, you know, a normal. I think it's fair to say it would not be worse. It would not be worse. I Sure. <laughs> the question is how much what better. What would a normal, and I'm making, like, quotes, what would a normal president have as their job approval if, the economy was this good. I think 65% is potentially fair in our maybe highly politically polarized world. That's hard to envision. Mm. But I'm saying like, remember last week I said, would you rather have President Trump or like a benevolent AI? Like if a benevolent AI was running the country and we had this economy, and now- would 65% of people believe the benevolent AI was doing a good job? Probably. Yes. Yeah. So that's... That is merely— Yes, I especially that, if I, the
0: president before the benevolent AI was, like, just tweeting crazy stuff all day. Well,
1: clearly the president understands that his job approval should be better than it is, given the economy where it's at. I think he has misdiagnosed <laughs> would you, the problem. Would you prefer a benevolent but, AI
0: or a deeply flawed human?
1: <laughs> would you prefer a benevolent AI who may or may not have spent some time north of the wall? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I said it on last week's show. We'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. Um, and so then there's a little bit of other polling at the same time that people are feeling pretty good about the economy. People are also feeling a little better about socialism. Um, Gallup has some data going back to 1942, where back then only 25 percent of people thought some form of socialism would be a good thing for the country. That has increased to 43 percent. Still not a majority opinion. You have 51 percent who now say it would be a bad thing back in 1942 only forty percent said a bad thing. You had a solid third that kind of shrugged and said, oh, "I don't know." Um, but there has been on the good thing, the bad key thing. keywords being
0: some some
1: form. Some form is very key. And does some form mean <laughs> like you improve public infrastructure, which I do not think is socialism? But some of is my it friends, some form of it, advocate that counts. Uh, you know, again. Uh, so but then they also ask, which would you prefer to have the free market or the government be primarily responsible for what happens in each of the following areas? Technological innovation, free market, free market, free market <laughs> wins 75 to 19
0: I think that like was having... giving me a hard
1: time before. And he's like, you're never partisan on the show. I said, I am when I talk about
0: socialism. That's true. And so here capitalism. You go. Roo, 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 I've roo, never heard you do. To- what is that call that you're doing? <laughs> I'm fist pumping. I'm
1: the audible version of fist pumping. Um, distribution of wealth. Free market sixty eight defeats government twenty eight. Uh, huh. The economy overall, free market sixty
0: two, government thirty three. But I have a, I have to say, I think I have a quibble. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying that people don't prefer the free markets because I know that they do. I'm not arguing that that that's not the case. I do think there's something about like the government being primarily responsible. That sounds like I don't know. I guess I guess I guess those are the polls, right? But it just sounds like so much farther than like the kinds of things that people are debating. It just sounds much farther than that. I think maybe it doesn't to folks on the right, like thinking that, you know, the government would be primarily responsible for innovation sounds like not on the table, you know? Um. So I. So that's why some of these things but, you know, then you look at environmental protection. Mean, people are clearly giving different answers based on something, right? Because when it comes to environmental protection, they're like, oh, actually, yeah, the government. That's, that's what we trust People
1: aren't anarchists. You can like capitalism and not be an anarchist. And like public infrastructure and think that public schools should be reformed but maybe serve an important purpose and should not be abolished. Like,
0: right. and capitalism capitalist you know, and does like, not mean being an anarchist. And, like, higher education, free market versus government. I mean, I think if, if – you know, if this was framed or if this was a conversation about college affordability, you know, or academic, you know, accountability, that you might have a different kind of conversation I'm than frankly if you stunned
1: that the answer on here is healthcare, free market 53, government 44, given that government doing more to ensure people have access to healthcare and things like that tends to be very popular in polls. So right. I'm fascinated by this outcome. All right. Well, let's now that I've I've expended all of my energy, <laughs> fist pumping.
0: Woo! Uh, let's take a quick I mean, break. You may not have ever been that excited about a poll result <laughs> before. Is that possible? Well, the first time I got good news about anything in like four <laughs> oh, years from um, the poll show. People like something I believe uh, in. <laughs>
1: I'm breaking. not. I'm not totally wrong. You know what else I wasn't totally wrong about? Game of freaking Thrones. Yeah. We will be back.
2: Okay.
0: Okay, before Game of Thrones, there was an election in Australia, and there was some polling. My former boss, my very first Washington boss, Mark Melvin, wrote a piece about this in The Hill, worrying and about the polls. Did he believe that the
1: polls were inaccurate or that there was hurting? Or, herding? So hurting? So herding, for listeners, means but I think there that was pollsters else. kind of— Either massage the data or like selectively release data to not release something that contradicts the narrative, like whatever people's conventional wisdom is about the race, wherever most of the polls are landing, people sort of like will sit on any data that contradicts that, which can lead to all the polls being wrong because the actually correct polls are getting sort of cast to the side which was one of the things that it was one of the uk elections of the last five years was something people worried had happened and had contributed to the polls misjudging i don't think it was brexit i think it was like the conservatives
0: yes winning the national mm-hmm, anyhow mm-hmm. um right david cameron i think i mean like doing as well as he did and is that the one where people were like oh the Shytori, the Shytori theory. Yeah. Um, so, he, so he said it could be hurting. It could be because they didn't report undecided. So people were, you know, looking at the margin and were kind of more surprised because they didn't see that there were undecideds. Um, that's one. Um, and if you are. Because Australia is a parliamentary system, did that change people's calculation in a way that surprised people? That's another theory. And then he concludes with like, "Well, I don't really know because they're not very transparent with about their methodology." Yeah. Well, the the one thing you kn- we know that
1: it's not it's not about likely voter models because everyone in Australia is a compulsory voting country. Everyone has to participate in the elections. What happens if you don't? Unclear. They throw you in the dungeon. I don't know <laughs> it's it but it is compulsory voting and so the idea of like we have to figure out what turnout will be well turnouts 100% so uh, that's not really a factor. What what is fascinating to me though is if you look at the trend line going back over the last couple of years of where do people stand Australian Labor Party versus liberal national coalition um, last uh, last year in the summer you had a spill you had a leadership change in the conservative party um and you see around that time kind of this spike in labor support um australian politics like every other country in the world except for the united states the left party is red and the blue party is the right the conservative party but so if you're looking at our show notes don't be alarmed by this chart red means liberal in this case mm. as it does in or no red actually does not mean liberal because liberal means conservative in australia Liberal is the name of the conservative party.
0: All right, just keep going. I'm going to check my Uh, email. Sorry, sorry, sorry.
1: (laughs) Long story short, as the polls approached, as we approached election day, the polls closed so that by the end you had the labor coalition at like 51 percent and you had the what is called liberal national coalition, which is the conservative coalition at like 49 percent. 49 to 51 to me is not, oh, labor's got it. Right. right. To right. me, that's you've got a to toss up election. Anything could happen. Yeah. So to me, this is sort of maybe how I because felt about they have been Brexit, up for too. so
0: long. So consistently, people felt a little well, complacent. This is how
1: I felt about Brexit, too, which was the narrative was that, oh, uh, remains got it. Right. Oh, labor's got it. And that the polls at the end showed things getting much closer. But the narrative was so baked in that people kind of closed their minds to the possibility that there could be a different outcome. So there we have it.
0: Hmm. I wonder if there's like a difference in how sort of people, I mean, is so the suggestion you're making is that there's something about the following of polls and people's, you know, own default. And their unwillingness to be surprised or open-minded about the outcome. Is there something about like the amount of coverage of polling and elections that's a driver? I don't know. So Do we just have – we just like binge constantly on polling and election coverage so much that we're, you know, more open to surprises or we just are watching so many different – I don't know. Maybe not.
1: Well, clearly we will, not. Uh, Maybe clearly not. It'll right? be interesting to see. This all was going down, by the way, like as a poor was happening, and so it was like you could just kind of feel everybody being like, "Oh, great, we're gonna have another one of these things to explain to people." Yeah. Speaking of explaining things, do you feel that the end of Game of Thrones explained everything properly? Wait, spoiler, um, er, spoiler, 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 spoilers, spoilers. If you don't want it to be spoiled, don't listen anymore. Yeah. Okay, I've done you my go due back Under your rock. Go, um, go, go back into the rock.
0: Um, I mean, it was like, it was fine. Like, it was fine. They wrapped it up. I wasn't, you know, I mean, I think Jon Snow's kind of an idiot. So I'm glad he it's did fact. not w- become the leader. Like, just because, you know, he's just sort of like, I mean. Facts. I don't know. I was just like, he's not handsome enough. He's definitely not smart enough. So what am I looking at here? Why am I supposed to be, why am I supposed to be, even though the polls show 50%. Uh, so this
1: is a Firehouse Strategies Optimist National Poll. So Firehouse is, do you know? Is that uh, Alex Conant? Uh, yes. And, uh, and then Optimist, we've had them on the show yep. before. This was this was the team that, that brought you the Rubio campaign 2016. That was sort of, the, they like worked together yes. on that. Um, and they did a poll, uh, who do you want to win the Game of Thrones and sit on the Iron Throne in Sunday's finale Yet again, there's not going to be a throne, not an answer option. And as I said in pollsters episode, I believe it is 211, I have the receipts. We had a poll like this come up, and yes. I said, The flaw in this poll is no one's asking. The throne's not gonna be there. They're gonna melt it down with dragon fire. <laughs> I said it on the show. Did you say and dragon I, fire? I, I did. Down. Although my mistake remember. was that I implied that Daenerys would intentionally be directing Drogon sure. to do it instead of being dead. But
0: <laughs> how did the dragon know about the about the freaking throne? I mean, isn't the dragon just like I'm just like firing whoever? She tells me to f- set fire. Correct. On. Like if, this was if nobody's t- and like why didn't he? Why did he just let Jon Snow walk away? If she, if the dragons like the and final- why did
1: Grey Worm not murder him on site? But instead, yeah. go. I think now we'll take prisoners of war. We weren't taking prisoners of war earlier today when I killed all those Lannister guys. But now we'll take. So I don't let me be clear. I do not want to nitpick this episode because I declared fan bankruptcy uh, after the bells episode yeah. five. That was horrible. Which I did not like declared so
0: painful fan
1: bankruptcy and just said i was
0: feeling very miserable i'm like what is it this is the best show and this is the most popular show in the world and we all want to watch genocide like that's what the world wants to watch like i just was feeling very depressed by it like made me feel very sad i'm like why are we all watching why are we why is this like yes it's nine o'clock it's time to watch a whole town burn up in flames for no reason it was horrible so, after
1: declaring fan bankruptcy uh, was the right call because yes. I was just like let's just compartmentalize that's all done that yeah. all happened let's just and given that I really liked the finale which makes me in the minority I think we'll see if anybody does any polling of like what did Game of Thrones viewers think are the people just... who didn't like it just like the really active people on Reddit or is it
0: I was just glad that we we're. I was finally like we were all put out of our misery like yep. this is finally over and I don't have to be hearing about Game of Thrones anymore like I'm ready to now Mm -hmm. You know, but then learn another language with the time spent, like thinking with people like yapping about Game of Thrones all around me.
1: But last week, the other thing we talked about was the betting markets Mm -hmm. and how the betting markets had the odds on Bran Stark being on the Iron Throne really high. And it was like, huh, that's really strange, right? Bran Stark's storyline has been weird. Right. Where is it even leading to? And that was when I proposed to you the like, who would you rather have running the country? Yeah, yeah. Benevolent AI, three eyed raven, like. I'm plugged into the tree internet guy or <laughs> Donald Trump, and you were like, "Give me tree internet guy." Yes. Um, so I, I I believe that some of these spoilers were out there on the internet if you went looking for them. Mm. I did not. I came to my. They're gonna so like the honesty, thing, going to melt the insider thing, Honestly, on. but yeah, that I suspect was a big piece of it because a lot of people were a part of the production of this show, right? I wonder if there are any laws. Like, if you are Isaac Hempstead Wright, the actor who played Bran, could you take your salary from the show and go dump it on a betting market and be like, "Hey guys, Bran Stark, yeah, gonna be the king. Yeah, it's gonna happen." Uh, Anyhow, Bran Stark's not even in this poll. Fifty percent said it was going to be Jon Snow. Twelve percent said Arya Stark. What? What are you guys thinking? She's she's like an awesome assassin explorer. She's not gonna. Only eleven percent had my girl Sansa. She was my second choice besides melt the throne. And she being queen in the north, it's perfect. That's fine. Yeah.
0: I I mean, it did seem like she says, hey, I'm not, you know, I'm going to stay independent. And then everybody else sitting around the table is like, oh, That's cool. I'm not going to. Wouldn't everybody just say, I want the same deal she got? Like nobody even.
1: Yeah. Iron Islands, Dorne, they both have like a strong history of being like, I do not really love being in the Seven Kingdoms, (laughs) FYI. (laughs) So why would they all stay? And yeah. clear. It should have been, to be more realistic, the four kingdoms at the end. Uh, Matt is over in the corner, like, yawning, like, why are you guys still podcasting? And he's Richard like, is probably he's ready like, to kick He's like, please go back to your a segment. So, <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't always make like, correct can you, predictions. Can you go back
0: to matching the voter file?
1: I, I don't <laughs> always saying, make correct uh, predictions on the show, uh, but postcard. I'm feeling darn good <laughs> about my discussion of Bran, the AI king, Sansa Stark being my true president, yeah, and the throne being melted down by dragon fire. I'm feeling. I'm. This is my victory lap. There were lots of I'm there were lots of
0: ladies on the left who were were also kind of mad at how everything turned out.
1: I I gotta say though, and let me pull up this tweet because this is from a a Democratic uh, operative who I follow on Twitter and like a great deal. Uh, I, I enjoy her tweets. Madeline Conway. Madeline Conway. She's a D trip alum. She tweeted. <laughs> Uh oh where's the whole thread Oh that she's basically like I would like to request a ban on self-righteous comparisons of Daenerys and female presidential candidates thank you My least favorite kind of pandering as of late involves politicians pretending to be incensed by the ending of Game of Thrones especially <laughs> because this tends to involve defending Daenerys and I was like good I'm glad it's not just me that I'm not just some like evil republican who's like rolling my eyes every time there's a new viral video of like Kirsten Gillibrand being like I'm so mad about Daenerys like <laughs>
0: You know, it's okay. Everybody has an opinion, so I'm, it's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. But, but I'm just. Yeah. Okay. Key findings. What's on the trend line this week, by the way? Uh, this week, um, I
1: am going to, I'm talking slowly because I'm trying to remember in my mind who's coming on the show. Sure. Oh, I'm going to be talking to John Arnold, who is a uh, philanthropist, a mil- millennial philanthropist. Yes. Uh who's really focused on trying to understand how can we have data to know what public policy interventions work and don't. So if we're going to spend tax dollars on like healthcare interventions, alleviating poverty, education, etc., how do we make sure that like it's really working and like do the stuff that really works instead of just like oh let's just cut these programs because we don't like them or like let's. So I'm really excited to talk to him about cool. his work on this. That's friendly.
0: cool. Cool. Okay. All right. So check out the ched line. Um, key findings. Poor one out for a poor. I guess I don't know. That was bad. Um, <laughs> I did this very I quickly. Did. All right. Um, my identity is getting angry when people use the phrase identity politics. And with Game of Thrones over, you now have more time to listen to The Pollsters. You can find us on Twitter at, at The
1: individually at, at Margie Romero and at KSoltis Anderson and at www.thepolsters.com. Thanks, bye.